Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm with a very exceptional person and she's smiling while I'm saying that, but she is. It's Susan Conn, um, one of Melbourne and Australia's most important contemporary jewellers. And she also has a very important standing internationally. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you, Stephen. Susan, there doesn't seem to be a time before there wasn't contemporary jewellery in my mind and and your work. You go back from... Oh, a long way, way back into the last century. I studied gold and silversmithing in the late 70s. At RMIT. Uh, at RMIT. And it was a quite a, a very interesting course at, at that time. It had been running for about 25 years or so. Mm. And we had some, they had some very good lecturers from Europe mm. who'd come out post-war. Who uh, were they, Susan? Uh, there was Wolf Renwick. Um, Chris McWaters was an Australian teacher. Um, the course was run by someone called Vic Vodica, a Czech, and um, oh, and an Englishman whose name suddenly gone out of my head. But it was a really good, vibrant mixture, and they connected us very much to what was happening internationally. They wanted mm-hmm. to keep their ties with Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, bought some leading people out and encouraged us, showed us how to participate in things in an international way, so we'd participate in competitions and things. Um, Susan, you initially studied uh, graphic design with Gary Emery. I didn't study, um, but I was, I suppose you could say, an apprentice. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a young single mother at the time and um, couldn't go to art school because I had to um, look after my boy. And Gary Emery... It was um, four designers that owned because Brian Sagrove was also a partner there, you know, with Emery Fallibur and Sagrove and White, four of them, and they took me on, mm-hmm. and I was the little runner, the yeah. the apprentice, and they taught me. You know, and Gary took me under Gary Emery took me under his wing and uh, proceeded to teach me about art and design and culture and mm-hmm. how to draw a straight line. So, Susan, why contemporary jewellery? What was the attraction to start with? Um, because in the 70s, it would have been... Oh, well, it was one of those niche. ambiguous things. I I trained with Gary, and but sort of worked out, because I was with him for four or five years, um, but probably wasn't very good at two-dimensional work. There was something about... I love packaging, for instance, and the three-dimensional quality, but it was only as I sort of developed as a young girl that I started to think, okay, what might I do? Or what, I'm not sure this is something, I, you know, the two-dimensional quality of it and the advertising industry was not something I particularly wanted to pursue, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I went and dabbled in fashion for a little bit but found that was just as much a rat race as graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the politics of it all didn't sort of really appeal to me. The jewellery thing literally came out of being at a dinner party with a group of friends and I was nagging everywhere. I was trying to find what could I pursue, what could, you know, what do you think I can do, da 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 driving them all crazy. And someone said, you should do jewellery because of the way that you, you're always noticing what, what people are, but want to know why they're wearing it. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds, okay, I'll give that a go. And went and did a TAFE course for... A six months, enrolled in RMIT, got in, 
and fell in love. In mm. six months, I knew what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And Susan, you actually opened Workshop 3000 before you even graduated, was that yes. right? Yes. Uh, we we um, it, uh, sort of stepped out of art school straight into Workshop 3000. I sort of knew that um, I wanted to keep going. And the one wonderful thing about training with Gary is it gave me a really good sense of what working life was and what the sorts of things you had to do. And he did things like um, sent me off to do bookkeeping and basic business skills. So I had an overview of things. I also knew how to deal with clients and how to write a brief, how to work out. To So I went to art school with this really good grounding, grounding and perspective, how to draw the most out of the course. So I also knew that I'd never be able to work from home. I'd uh, be on the phone too much and reading magazines or going out and having coffee, that I wanted a workplace that was desert. And that stage, you couldn't go back into art school and use equipment. And I was working with industrial processes and machines like lathes and presses and um, things like this. And um, I suddenly was going to need this equipment. And I figured if I needed it, then other people probably needed it. And why not set up something that became like a hub? Marion Hosking was my lecturer in my last year of, of art school, and she responded very strongly to the idea. So she, we formed a partnership with the, the then technician as well. He mm-hmm. decided he thought it was a great idea as well. So the three of us formed a partnership and Susan, set it up. Um, Unfortunately, this isn't a visual show, mm. so which is a little bit frustrating for someone mm. like me and mm. also um, for the audience who for are listening. Yeah. But some of the iconic, and I hate the word iconic, but I do think some of your work was uh, purchased very early for the NGV mm-hmm. uh, by people like Judith O'Callaghan. Your donut bracelet, which mm-hmm. I'm looking at um, as you're wearing it, mm-hmm. um, how would you describe that? It's almost like a, a it's a plastic donut shaped bracelet. That one, yeah, that one is plastic. I've worked a lot in aluminium and anodized and um, played with types of materials on the bracelets. The bracelets, the production bracelets are are really interesting. I made the first one because I wanted to wear it and I wanted a big luscious bracelet. So that's it. and that's the very first one. Mm-hmm. Judith bought the very first one. And that would have been early 80s? Um, 82. Mm-hmm. And it was that thing of, um, I was really interested and I developed this up in art school, that, that thinking of um, where you produce a shape very simply and you spend your time and thinking in how you individualise it, how you decorate it, how you... Um, the materials you use and how you fit. And this is a tradition of ethnic traditional jewellery. Or cultures as such, they'll have one or two shapes that reoccur in their jewellery, in their cooking pots, in the shape of their hearts, the print on their fabrics, and they they represent that particular um, small group. So I was interested to see whether I could develop up something that talked about me, but also talked about the fact that I lived in this urban, modernist city called Melbourne and all those sort of things. So the donut bracelet came out of that. And it's in the same sort of track that you think of Mies van der Rohe refining the curtain wall over the whole of his career. I used the the donut bracelet and it, it is quite a large one, so it does allow a lot of playing. Um, as, a, an as, as an experimental touchstone. 
So I produce a new one every year and it, I use it to explore. It can be from colouring to materials to ideas, whatever I'm sort of playing with at the time. And because there's no new invention in the form, it's really interesting to see how you can then interpret these ideas in this form. And it must also be lovely placing all those bracelets mm. over the 30-year mm. career. Well, when the survey seeing... show was on the National Gallery of Australia, when they travelled their survey show, there was a 20-year line, um, it's a... which was such a surprise to me because, oh, yes, oh, that was my Memphis state. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. Yeah. Um, Susan, you've also done, you know, things like condom holders, mm. uh, glasses, sunglasses mm. that you've turned mm. into insects. Mm. Um, I mean, you've done the Alessi bowl. Mm. For people who don't know that lovely... Um, mesh bowl. Mesh bowl Big that's mesh become... Bowl. Uh, a classic a for Alessi. Yeah. for Alessi. Um, how do you tend to start the process when you're working? Oh, it comes from all sorts of directions. There's always three or four bubbling ideas happening. A lot of it, you know, I often say I'm a voyeur. I like and jewelry's about people. So I, I love wandering the city and seeing how people behave and what they're wearing and and their interactions with things, how they adapt and adopt things. And, and my interest in how technology's created jewelry in the street started in Hong Kong. I was in Hong living in Hong Kong with John Denton for a little while and um, it was when the Walkman first was released on the market. That would have been mid-80s. Yeah, early mid- 80s. Yeah. yeah, early 80s. It was 82, yeah. yeah. And um, what I was fascinated with it was that at that stage you could only get the headphones with orange foam coverings and everyone was wearing them. It didn't matter about professional type, age, gender, Everyone has these orange foam things, and I thought, that's like jewellery in the street. It was just such an eye-opener how people felt comfortable because they were like a dormant, yeah. um, to the point there was uh, an old Dero down near the, and that's rare for Hong Kong, but there was this Dero near the Star Ferry who had a transistor radio tied onto his head with a scarf, and it was that thing of not being left out with he all these people. Version. He had his own version. And that really made me start to think about adornment and how we instinctively adopt things as adornment to be part, to be identified as part of a group, which I think jewellery is very much speaking that sort of language. And so that started a whole stream of thinking. But I love making. I adore making. And... And playing with materials so that there's always some sort of experimental thing happening with materials running parallel. And Sometimes stuff. the mistakes, are they the ones that become oh, they have the been. prototypes? Yeah, oh, they, the mistakes. The mistakes could become the top cut. <laughs> you might think of the second cut that become the top cut because they actually uh, introduce something that you didn't expect and you go, ah, oh, ah, oh, maybe if I do, ah. Oh. Yeah. Susan? You've been taking a little bit of time off recently mm. because you've been very involved in um, Unexpected uh, Pleasures, which was at the National Gallery of Victoria uh, last year. Yeah, last year. This, and then yeah. travelled to London for the winter show. Yep, yep. A big, big, big uh, yeah. achievement yeah. and an extraordinary um, yeah. exhibition. Uh, I think it's one of the most... Uh, amazing exhibitions I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, being a fan of contemporary jewellery, but I could have just kept going 
back every week、mm. and seen something new.、Mm. Tell me about the process because you really gathered together the world's leading contemporary jewellers. Well, it was an interesting kickoff because it was the design museum that actually commissioned this exhibition, and they had never had a an exhibition of something like contemporary jewellery, something that was a handmade, started from the handmade. They tend to do design products or survey shows of key designers, so it was new ground for them, and. I think, from the point of point of、um, them talking to me, I said I want, I'd like to talk about the ideas in contemporary jewellery. I don't want to do a survey show or anything that's chronological.、Mm. Um, to to look at the ways of thinking,、uh, that's what interests、mm. me. But also, I think that's what people would be intrigued with. And also, then the subtext being that、um, in the way that the design museum had never shown contemporary jewellery, I felt that contemporary jewellers didn't engage with design very much. So I wanted to start, and and so did the design museum. For that, Diane Sudrick, the director of the design museum, was interested in starting conversation between contemporary jewellery and design. Because we both felt that they could really contribute、mm. to each other, and that maybe interesting works would evolve out of that. You know, the ways of seeing things. You know, jeweler's eye for detail, for instance. Look, it's amazing. Sure, I mean, the, the people you had were just phenomenal. People、yeah. like Heisbacher,、mm. who's worked across all these areas for Holland. Otto Kunzli. Yeah.、Uh, there's one piece that. Resonates in my mind that I saw at the Treasury Gallery a few years、mm-hmm. ago the the wonderful helmet. Yeah, take notice. Yeah,、um, tiara for Maxima. You know the competition that was the new queen. Yeah, for the new princess. Yeah,、oh. uh, she was princess then. She'd only just become a prince, Princess Maxima of、um, Queen Beatrice's son. And、um, they ran a tiara competition amongst the designers for her. And、um, Ted knew that.、Um, Her husband likes to do biking, so he designed a, a biker's helmet, chromed biker's helmet, of which a tiara is embedded in. It clicks out of the chrome, so she could get on the back of the bike, go to an event, get off the bike, click out the tiara, put, put it on, on and go into. The, which is just a lovely, lovely、um, way of thinking. Yeah. yeah, of what a contemporary tiara might How be. How do you, when you're faced with that task? Because I mean, Melbourne and、uh, um, Australia and New Zealand was very well represented、mm. in the exhibition,、mm. and you have this huge list to choose from of the world's leading contemporary jewellers. How do you kind of narrow it down? What are you、uh, looking for? Who was? Is it, is it to show the period of contemporary jewellery over your lifespan、um, in jewellery? That it's. No, again, it's going back to the ideas. I wanted to somehow show the different、um, driving forces for making something, and that you might have one particular approach, whether it be you know on one hand、um, about nature or wanting to make a political comment or、um, playing with a new technology or just a love. Of a of materials or recycling materials, for instance, and that there's all different approaches within those ideas. So in each of the、um, clusters, I developed up a whole range of clusters that each had a particular focus. And you worked with Abe Rogers. Abe Rogers was the exhibition designer. Yeah, yeah. and.、Um, I wanted to show that there was different ways. So you have a collection of five or six pieces that 
have quite different approaches, so you'd have opposites there. But also that someone from America was next to someone from Australia, next to someone from Japan. So they were talking to each other. Yes, so there was a conversation within each of the ideas, but also then between each of the different ideas. Just to give an introduction or way thing, it was also intriguing, I think, for us jewellers to see, see that as well. And... There was an enormous amount of entries. I think I got 553 entries. Everyone had to send in five images of works they thought fitted this idea of being in a design museum and my curatorial premise of trying to seek out what the ways of working, the ways of thinking were. And then I had to try and choose five or six works for each cluster. I mean, the nature one, for instance, I had to choose... Yeah, from 350 pieces. And there was a lot of very good pieces that weren't in the show, and just because there wasn't enough space. <laughs> how many? How many? There was about 250 pieces, weren't there? There was just under 200, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, and it also, I think what was so lovely about it, it really showed how contemporary jewellery has evolved since the 70s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's work by Otto Kunzli, yeah. uh, huge timber brooches. Yeah that were quite, almost like wallpaper, I think. Yeah, they well, they wall, were wallpaper They brooches. were wallpaper brooches, big geometric shapes that were covered with wallpaper, yes. Quite three-dimensional, yes. so you'd have a cube, a rectangle, a cube. And, a and, circle, and everyone yeah. had something to say. I yeah. Mean, they're kind of, some of them were quite um, cheeky. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember there was one little piece that looked quite harmless. It, it was a little face made into ribbon. Yes, and yes. And I found that even though it was kind of soft material, yes. I found it quite intimidating. It oh, kind of really? That's quite interesting. quite scary to yeah. me. <laughs> um, that was a Japanese artist who made it out of um, wrapping ribbon, yes. yeah, forming a three-dimensional animal shape. Yeah. That was in the little cluster called yeah. Animal Instincts. Yeah. Um, contemporary jewellery, even though you've been a very important part in getting it into a broader community, it's still a frustrating area if, uh, in terms of, people not always getting it does that worry you or you no find that no that's, that's something... all part of it that's all part of it i mean you, it's not about making it broadly accepted you know you you do it because you can't help but not do it because you're intrigued with all these things and if someone gets it it's fantastic mm. uh i think i i think it could i think contemporary jewelers sometimes shoot themselves in the foot here because they they don't think, yeah, internalise on it. And I'm hoping, actually, that the Exhibition Unexpected Pleasures opens this up a little bit. It goes back to what I was saying, discussions with yeah. other yeah. creative people and working with them and, and seeing where that might I mean, uh, those who get contemporary jewellery, which is quite a significant mm. audience, there is that dialogue that goes on mm. all the time because mm. there's people notice each other, what they're wearing, mm. they go well, up and they say, an is that a Susan Conn or, or is that a Marie yeah, Panucki? Yeah, well, what this? are you wearing? Who did that? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there is that continual yeah, yeah. banter yeah. for those, for those yeah. in the know. Where do you think um, contemporary jewellery is heading? Oh, I don't know whether I can answer that question. Um I hope it's opening up a bit. What what has uh, has sort of um, troubled me, I suppose, in a way, is that it contemporary jewelry started out as a political movement. It was a post-war thing, and it, it was in an era where people couldn't afford to buy expensive jewelry. The makers couldn't afford to buy precious materials, so 
it evolved as a way of still making jewellery and making it accessible, both for the makers to make it and also for people to wear it. So, it was, And that was partly what attracted me to it, very you much could get so. get into it quite that, easily. No, that mm. it had this political thing of making mm. it democratic. Uh, I wouldn't have gone off and done, um, of course, stunning precious metal jewellery, precious yeah. It was not what interests me. I liked the way that it talked about culture and talked for people and to people. And um, it was very much a base of it. Now, over the years, I think it has become very specialised and there are major collectors and it gets geared towards the collectors and it has tended to forget the everyday person or not in a bad way and not always but that it's it it has become elitist in itself i've noticed and maybe it's just in my mind susan and maybe you can help me mm. answer this but there seems to be quite a strong movement for contemporary jewelers to use precious materials mm. again mm. almost as a way of making it more acceptable or... i don't know whether it's more acceptable in, back in the late 80s, so sort of going yeah. back into the contemporary jewellery movement again, in the late 80s, um, there was a huge um, um, blow-up as such about whether it could be contemporary if you use precious materials. Heist Barker and Robert Schmidt in Amsterdam had this huge public fight about it because yeah. Robert Schmidt said, you should be able to use any materials. And Heist at that time, he changed his position um, said, no, no, contemporary was about it not having mm. precious materials in it. And so that really activated the whole scene. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was everyone had a position on this. And, nah, 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 nah. and ultimately, I agree, it, it's not about the materials. There should be, it's about the ideas. Yeah. And it's whether what the idea is expressing. It doesn't. So I think that absorption of precious materials back into contemporary jewelry. It goes back to the late 80s, I'm afraid, Stephen. It's not something so it's not that's new. new. No, yeah. no. It's just that. And it does come back to how you use them, I think, or how, you know, what the People spirit like is. People like Carl that, Fritz, Fritz yeah, uses yeah, precious materials. Yeah. In it's a very... just how, how you... And he's been fantastic yeah. the way that he's opened up the whole thinking of what is jewellery. Mm. After this major span of exhibition making... For the last book five, writing book and writing and and, oh and um, how easy is it to get started again? Because you're not getting started again, but there's been quite a bit. Well, break. it is like starting again. Um, I'm cleaning out my workshop at the moment, which is wonderful, so cathartic. Uh, and starting a new body of work, I'll have a solo show next year. With there's been a lot of ideas bubbling, and I haven't had time to get back to the bench and make. I uh, realise now how much my thinking is through the making. I felt like my right arm's been cut off, yeah. that I've yeah, been disabled. And <laughs> now I've got my arm back again. And Does it help having that exhibition discipline you to getting back into... No, yeah. I, I never need disciplining to get back into working. Yeah. I need to be dragged out of the yeah. workshop more often than not. What was invaluable about the exhibition is it gave me the most wonderful um, overview of what is happening in my field uh, internationally and that's got to digest in some way and I'm not sure how it's going to come out in my work. In one in one respect I get a bit spooked because I look at 
some of our heroes or works that have been made so beautifully think, oh, I can't do that. Oh, oh, I only do this. I only do these little, I only do these donut bracelets. Oh, yeah. I only do. So there's, there's that sort of aspect of it as well. But on the other side, it's really inspiring to be part of all this and to, you know, how can I con- continue to contribute, but contribute in a way that no one else contributes mm. or to think, you know, to stop just repeating the same things i think that's that's probably the challenge the other thing i still find quite extraordinary is that melbourne is such a leader in contemporary jewelry it's fantastic it's amazing we have more galleries more people wearing contemporary jewelry why do you what do you well i think it does it goes back a little bit to um what i was talking about when i studied and we came out uh in in all that time as a very proactive group of people and Everyone supported each other. You went to each other's shows and you, you know, you worked as a collective and, and you worked, um, internationally as well. You tried to work internationally as well as in Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne's this wonderful city that, uh, you can take risks in and you can explore things in and, and people will look and get involved. And I think I've under, I understand that even more now after doing the show how fortunate we are here. A little bit of it, of it is being um, the tyranny of distance, being mm. so far away, so we have to make it happen. Mm. And that's that's quite a good thing. But there's also a freedom here in which to do things. And there seems to be a real intellectual rigour when it comes to contemporary jewellery here. Well, there's some um, really <laughs> key people that are just keep driving that because we're passionate about it. Yeah. So... We keep, the, but you're interacting with all disciplines. I mean, it's not your clients and the people that you're showing with and things like that. It's not just contemporary jewelry. It's right across the yeah. design fields, and that's and that's exciting. Yeah. I and mean, I like that aspect of Melbourne anyway. Um, it allows you to interact so easy. It's the nature of the city too. It's that Amsterdam's like this, yeah. Munich's like this. Yeah, London can't be because it takes so damn long to get <laughs> from one side of the city to the other. Whereas here you can scoot to one or two things quite easily and yeah. keep in touch with what people are doing. So I think it's that partly that smaller I'd say city. Munich, Munich, Netherlands. Well, Munich and Amsterdam I think are on yeah. par in terms of of natures of cities and that co-interaction between various creative areas. It's not just isolated in one. Um, Susan, just finally, what gives you the most pleasure when you... Is it the designing? Is it seeing people wearing your piece? Is it going to a a museum or gallery and saying, oh, God, there's my donut bracelet from... Oh, that one last of all, I think, in many respects. Uh, I suppose... When you make something, when you've collaborated with someone, the private commission work, the the jobs where you make something together, that you've made something that is important for that person, that is either a gift to someone else or represents a time or whatever, and you've learnt about each other and you've got to know and and you've made something and then... It leaves my workshop and it becomes a part of their lives. There was a lovely piece that I saw recently. It was done from the, I think it was the early to mid-80s, and a client had a 
a Marcus's brooch given to her by her oh, yes, grandmother. grandmother. And, and her grandmother was furious because she'd actually mashed <laughs> crushed it, it. crushed <laughs> it. And she said, well, the good thing was that she lost it and it fell into a gutter and she came back a few days later and it was still there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there's, there's, yeah. Well, the other um, story to that one is an artist friend who rang me up and said, Con, you'll be really um, pleased about this. I got robbed last night completely cleaned out and I'm thinking why would I ever be pleased about yeah. that she said they left your jewellery yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well they didn't they you know they can't pawn it yes um, Susan and look it's been an absolute treat having it's you here it's been uh, lovely talking with and you too Stephen thanks so much for coming in today my pleasure you've been listening to Susan Conn um, on Talking Design presented by Stephen Crafty thanks so much for listening and uh, Susan thanks again my pleasure